so appreciate the ministering of song, these services do. I, it's a blessing, I get to do this twice, uh, just sit through this and worship and minister through this, and it's just a blessing, wonderful blessing. It was about a year ago, or, or this past year, that I got to watch the movie uh, Evan Almighty, and no, it was not the inspiration of our, the name of our son, but uh, I'd seen the previews for the first one, and frankly was not impressed and was really disgusted with the previews of the first movie, so I did not watch uh, Bruce Almighty, uh, um, but uh, the previews did not scare me off as much with the second one, so I dared to watch this, and uh, I, was, I was pleased with some aspects of it, disappointed with others, but you know, it, it's of course the story of, of what Noah would be like if it happened today in this flood, and uh, you know, it, it, it's one of these movies that leaves you with good feelings at the end of it, and uh, Yes, often as a child, when we hear the story of Noah and the flood, it kind of, it's one of the stories that you're supposed to feel good at the end of. You can get goosebumps all over you and think, oh, that's just a nice story. And you have this in the back of your mind, but when you get to Genesis chapter 6, and you start reading what happened through chapter 6, 7, and 8, it's, it's the kind of story that leaves with you with anything but feel good, goosebumps all over you. You thought, you know, in fact, it's quite distressing. I was reading this, and, and I was wrestling with some, some thoughts of what I believe about God and uh, what actually takes place in Genesis and trying to reconcile how these things take place, and yet this is what I believe about God. And, and uh, you know, when you look at the childhood pictures of Noah and the flood, you, you, don't, you don't think of what happens before Noah is delivered. You know, the mind or the picture you have is kind of like what you have and our preschool hall that Connie Reckless has been doing just a beautiful job uh, decorating the walls with one of these scenes in the preschool area. And it's just, you know, the picture of the flood of the, the flood and the ark. And you got all the animal heads sticking out of the windows and looking out. you got the giraffe. You know, it's always the giraffe that's sticking out and the elephant. And, and you got Noah there smiling with his wife, you know. And I think, you know, that's, just, that's kind of the image you want to have. But as I, I read this passage, I think, you know, that's just a small glimpse, and I don't know if they were smiling during all this time. I mean, have you ever spent a year with animals in a barn? You know, uh, that's what they did. They lived in a barn for a year. I don't know how much smiling was going on. But I, I think there's been one artist that, that I've seen that kind of gives you another scene. It's a French artist, Gustave Doré, uh, that did these scenes where it was a picture of the flood, uh, not with Noah on the boat, but all those who rejected the boat, rejected Noah. And uh, there's one scene, in, in, uh, especially, that is of these boulders sticking up out of a, a rough water. And uh, you can see the, the boat way off silhouetted in the distance. But there is a tiger uh, on the top of uh, one of the boulders. And then on another boulder, it's just a mass of humanity trying to clamber up these rocks, and there's a picture of about three or four babies on top of this rocks, and the parents, the mothers, and dads, and slipping into the water, halfway submerged, and vultures uh, tirelessly flying on top of all this. And and it's there in that scene that you, you get a glimpse, maybe a little bit more, of what it may have been like of just, you know, flood's okay, ark okay, but when we start talking about children 
and moms and dads, elderly and the flood, it starts to hit home a little bit more. And you start asking yourself, well, is this really the working of God? Isn't God supposed to be the God of love, mercy? How do we reconcile these things about God and what the Bible says happens? That, to me, is a little bit more than a child's story. And really more of an adult story of something terrible that took place. And so, I want to take you to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. We'll find the story from verse 9 through the end of chapter 8, verse 22. And if a child was to read this, they would say a few things that are very simple. Well, man is very sinful. God hates sin and judges sin. But man, our God, makes a plan to escape judgment. That's it in a nutshell. Man is very simple. God hates sin and judges it. But God makes a way of escape from judgment. Any child, as they read that, can get that. And that's, that is the point in a nutshell. You got it? Okay? Got some extra time on your hands this morning. Well, I can't let you go there. Uh, Let's, let's read this and uh, read this together. And let's just study judgment of God. Because I think as we read this, it's going to uh, point to another judgment. Something else that will take place in the future. And so I think it is very necessary for us to read this together and study it. And see what we can learn about this judgment. And so I'm going to ask that, yes, we read this together. Yes, we'll stand together as we honor what we read. You're going to have most of this time to sit down. So let's go ahead and stand. Uh, Stretch, enjoy it. Verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah... The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark. You shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold... I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all the flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after the kind, of animals after the kind. And every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind, will come to you to keep them alive. You shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. The Lord said to Noah, Come to the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. 
For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy them from the face of the earth, all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his son's wife went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Clean animals, of animals that were unclean, a bird, everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two they went into the ark to Noah. Male and females, God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass that for seven days that the water of the flood were on the earth. And the 600th year of Noah's life, and the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after his kind, all cattle after the kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after his kind, and every bird after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut them in. Now the Lord was on the earth forty days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth. And the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth. And all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered, and waters prevailed fifteen cubits upwards, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which are on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping things and birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. And at the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the 17th month, the 17th day of the month, in the mountains of Ariat. And the waters decreased continually until the 12th month and the 10th month. On the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her feet. She returned to the ark to him, and the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth, so he waited yet another seven days, and when sent out the dove, which did not return again to him any more. It came to pass in the seven hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth. Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. Indeed, the surface of the ground was dry. And the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. And God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that it may abound on the earth, that they may be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. Then Noah built an ark to the Lord, 
and took out of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done, while the earth remains. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. You may be seated. So we read this text together. The first thing that the text introduces to us and looking at the judgment is the survivors of the judgment. We're first introduced to Noah and his family. In fact, this happens in a, in a little bit prior to this in the first part of chapter 6. Uh, we see in verse 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He received the grace of God. And then it goes on to describe in verse 9 some descriptions of him. It's described as a just or righteous man a perfect man, and man who walked with God. These are the three descriptions. What does it mean to be righteous with God? First, I would have you to note that it does not mean that Noah was the only man without sin. Noah was like every man that's been born, save Jesus Christ, born with sin in his heart, born in a self-centered perspective and a God-created world. That's sin. And so... Noah's just like that. So what does it mean to be righteous? It means that Noah agreed with God's estimation of himself and his attitude. He understood that God uh, grieved at this, and so he too grieved at his own selfishness, as well as agreed with God's valuation on the world as he knew it, as he saw it. And so he was just, he was righteous. He conformed to the standard that God set for him. Not that he was Uh, without sin, but that he agreed. Just understand, to be righteous does not mean that you're without sin. It means that we agree with God. When we sin in our life, we confess. What does that mean? To say the same thing as what God is saying about our attitudes and actions, and we grieve what God grieves in our own life. And so he was righteous in this way. Why? Because he received the grace of God, which then leads him to be, as the text says, perfect. That means complete or blameless. Blameless. This involves not only his relationship between God, but also his relationship with mankind. He makes right his wrong. And so that's what he was known for. If you want to be blameless, it does not mean that uh, you always do right, but that when you do wrong, you go back and make right your wrong. You don't uh, back away from restitution to say to someone, what can I do to make this right? right whatever is in your power to do and so he was blameless and so consequently he received the grace of god he was righteous he was perfect or blameless and so he walked with god this was the same description given to enoch that he was a man walked with god he was devoted to god and he was devoted to be with god that he had an ongoing vibrant relationship see it's not enough for us to conform to some legal standard to have some Things that we check off, that we make sure we do what is right. What God is seeking is those who will walk with him in a relationship with him. Noah was his man. And so we look in the New Testament, and the New Testament also gives some descriptions of Noah. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says this about Noah. He says, He did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. 
Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He did not just live a way that agreed with God's standard. Did he not just grieve with his own sins and God's uh, conform to God's value on sin? He also proclaimed with his mouth he was a preacher of righteousness. And so he was a witness. He was someone who declared in his generation, in his time, those things that uh, were from God's point of view. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, gives us another aspect in the character of Noah. Hebrews 11, verse 7 says this, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So we see in this passage that faith was a component of Noah. He received the grace of God in Hebrews chapter 11, or Genesis chapter uh, 6, verse 8. But he did it by faith according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Therefore, he was righteous and was a preacher of righteousness and blameless. In other words, in the same way that Noah was saved, it's the same way that in this age we're saved. We are saved by the grace of God through faith. And because of grace through faith, God gives to us a righteousness that works in our heart, helps us to view the world differently, and teaches us to be blameless. Now, because he was this way, uh, the Bible says that uh, he preached in the building of the ark. And what was the net total of his ministry? Eight, including himself. His family were the only ones that walked with him upon the ark, the only ones that trusted in God in this area. And so he was the only one. But does that mean that he wasted his life? No. The Bible says that by his testimony, he condemned the world. Friends, do not be discouraged when you witness to someone and proclaim to him the standard of God and they do not receive and acknowledge it. You are still working the glory of God. It may not be because they received it. It may be because they rejected it. But God's glory is still given. At least they have been, they know that there is someone that stands for the Lord in their school, in their neighborhood, in their workplace. That you bear that testimony. See, the Bible gives, te- gives record that it was over 100 years in the building of the ark. Uh, when God first brings this out, Noah was 500. When he, the floods came, he was 600. Uh, over 100 years of building this ark. And so you can imagine, with every tree fallen, it was to ring out to that society, judgment is going to come, and God is providing a way of escape through this boat. With every mallet uh, rung, uh, with every hammer that was slammed down as it echoed out with the the testimony of the life of Noah with the declaration of Noah, it was testimony time and time again that there was judgment coming, that there was going to be a way of escape. And so he preached this. Now, sticking with Hebrews chapter 11 for a little bit. If we skip on down to verse 13 through 16, it gives a little bit more insight of Noah as well as several others in the same time period. Referring to Noah, it says this, These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, wait a second. Didn't Noah experience the promise of God? Didn't he see the floods come as God gave him? Didn't he experience the deliverance out of the judgment as God uh, covenanted with them? Yes, he did. But Hebrews tells us that 
Noah understood there was a little bit more to come. And that in his life, he had not yet seen the full promise uh, revealed and the full judgment revealed. And that he died embracing a future promise. There was more to come. But notice the description of him in this passage that refers to him as strangers and pilgrims on this earth. Verse 14. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to to return. But now they desire better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Noah had the mindset that he was just a pilgrim in this world. He was a stranger, not just in the pre-flood world, but in the post-flood world. Now, just with your imagination, as best as we can, Let's try to get in Noah's perspective at this point. God gives you a word. He is saying that this whole world will be judged and that they w- it would be flooded. And he gives you a new assignment. That you are to take, a, uh, take the plans that God's going to give you and build an ark. Now, nowhere in this text do I see where God provides hammers and tools and wood... For God, he didn't say, uh, for Noah, he said, no, go to this field and dig up and you'll find some supplies there for you. There's nowhere where it says that, hey, go to this area of land and you'll find the best wood. He leaves it up to Noah to figure that out. But do you understand what's being said? He is asking Noah for the next hundred years of their life to be committed to this task. Your house is going to be destroyed. The fields that you've been working on, the agricultural, the vineyards, going to be destroyed. Let's say in our daytime, in our time, your 401k, it's out. The college fund, it's out. The beach house, it's out. The cars, they're out. There is nothing more that you have been living to to work to secure you that will remain. He is asking Noah to liquidate everything that he has because it's going to be liquidated anyway. All right? In more ways than one. And so, what does Noah do? What would be the point of holding on to all these incomes when he knows it's going to be destroyed? He sells it all, invests it all in a building project. Now, can you imagine 100 years? You know... You go back, Mr. JT's here. Go back to when he was born. 80 some years. They had already been working on it 20 years. All of his life. Knock, knock, knock. On the fields and you're thinking, when are they ever going to finish this? Got my whole life. And hearing this knocking sound. All the while it's the knock, knock, knocking of God's warning to the nations. He was a pilgrim. He was a stranger. He understood this was not his home. I've done some traveling some overseas and some, some good things and some bad things about doing such things as that. The journey, the, the air flight, it's not very fun. Um, and when you get there, there's just a word of warning. If you ever go anywhere, here's the word of warning. Don't drink the water. Okay? Just don't drink the water. You'll do good if you don't drink the water comes out just buy the stuff that's sealed up your body's not used to that water and if you drink that water bad things will result all right you will not enjoy your trip 
and you'll take a little bit of that country with you that you don't want. All right? It's going to remain in your body. And you'll come home very miserable. Isn't that right, Cindy? She's had a little one-on-one experience with something like that. So, you know, I, I understood that. And so I'd take all efforts not to drink the water. I would say, you know what? Please, no ice. I, didn't, I would not drink ice drinks for a long time because that ice melts and bam, you know, you got it. You, you brush your teeth. You use the sealed up water. You pay for it and you, and you do your toothbrush because you don't want that little bit of water in your mouth that might go down into your stomach. And when you take a shower, you never think about it, but you drink a lot of water when you're drinking, taking a shower. So you just keep your mouth closed and think, oh, I don't want the water in my mouth because I don't want bad things happening. Well, what we're seeing here is this. You are in a foreign land. And as if God is saying, don't drink the water. Do not let the things of this world, world get inside of you and dictate what you will be and who, what you will do. Yes, you will have to live in this world. Yes, you have to work. You have to make money. You have to have a car. You have to have some clothes to have uh, in, on your body. You have to do these things. But it's one thing to live in this situation. It's another thing. Let these things live inside of you. When you start shaping your life and your perspectives because of clothes or because of popularity or because of this gives you the greatest net return. These are the things that you got to watch out for when it gets inside of you. Noah understood there's no reason to start living for the popularity of this world when the popularity is about to go away. There's no, no need to start living for the luxuries of this world when they're all about to be washed away. He was a pilgrim. And so we read this passage and let us know that the survivors of the judgment understood that they had the grace of God, they conformed and agreed with God's view of things, and they walked with God, and they made things right, and understood that they did not live for this world because the world was coming to an end. Now we come, we're reading to verse 11, and we see a, a huge contrast. Here's Noah walking with God, righteous, blameless. He receives the favor of God. He's a, he's a pilgrim. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And stark contrast to this man named Noah is what's going on in the rest of the world. And so now we're, we're switching from the survivors of the judgment. We're going to look at the extent of the judgment. How far does this judgment go? Well, he says, well, look first at the condition. What's the, the disease? The disease is, is, is the whole earth is filled with violence. And so if the whole earth is filled with violence. God's going to fill the earth with water. So God looked upon the earth. Indeed, it was corrupt for all flesh and corrupted their way on the earth. Now, what's, what's the cause of this? Well, he had just shared with us the cause uh, in verse 5. He says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. What does a society look like whose individual members uh, of the society have their thoughts of their hearts on evil continually. What would that society look like? Well, he tells us right here in verse 11, it's filled with violence and corrupt before God. There is little thought of robbing and killing someone over their shoes. There's little thought of raping and killing women just because that's what they want to do. There's little thought about abandoning children and killing children just because that's more convenient. 
There's little thought about these things. And this is the fleshing out of a, of a society whose heart is on evil continually. Well, you remember what it is to be on evil continually? It's not just that you're thinking on witchcraft and stuff. It's just that you're thinking about self because self stands in opposition to God. When you have self-centered society, you have a violence-filled society and a corrupt society. And it goes throughout all the earth. Notice in verse 12, he says, For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And we keep on reading. Verse 13, God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through him. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so we see evidence that this is a worldwide judgment that's going to take place. That indeed, a worldwide flood is what's spoken. Now, there's some debate whether or not this was worldwide in all the movies. It's, you know, it's not worldwide because, you know, you can't have a good, a feel-good story if it's a worldwide punishment. Yeah, it has to be some kind of local deal. But that's what you have in the scripture that speaks to this. It's interesting, uh, geological layers actually can tend to point to this. Sometimes we think of geological layers because of erosion, but why could it not be that it's from the waters building up layers on top and as the weight of the waters pushing mountains higher? Uh, these, uh, a worldwide cataclysmic event could also point to some of what we uh, observe in nature today. But even not just geological, but anthropologically, as we look at the cultures of society, I was in, uh, in Kenya and visiting with a, a pretty primitive tribe there, the Maasai people group, and uh, it's fascinating. When you look at their culture, they understand that there is one God, that they, they have sacrifice system and the way their society works, but they also understand that there was a worldwide flood that has occurred uh, sometime in history, and it's something they know. How do they know that? Uh, this is uh, it's interesting. When you look at ancient cultures, you see this time and time again. In fact, anthropologists have collected between 250 to 300 such worldwide flood stories that occurred in ancient histories. Why is that? Because uh, there is a shared history. Now, all these stories differ. Uh, some major differences. Uh, they're not all the same as what you find in the Bible. You find some similarities with the Sumerian text and other things that are very similar. But why is that? Because there's ancient history of a shared history that's giving evidence in all these stories. So it is a worldwide, a, uh, every human being, every animal that breathes that's uh, dealing uh, with the judgment here. That's the extent. But verse 13, we start seeing provision for the judgment. We've seen the extent of it. Now what's the provision for the judgment? I'm talking about how God's going to judge and also God's way of escape from judgment. Well, he says, I build an ark, go for wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out. Now, the ark of gopher wood is probably cypress uh, wood that's used. And there's a pitch that's used to waterproof it. And then he gives you the dimensions of this, uh, verse 15. Uh, in today's standard, that would be about 450 feet long or one and a half football fields. Uh, 75 feet wide, which is about seven parking spaces. Uh, 45 feet high, which is about three stories. Uh, holding... Together, the cubic feet, 1.4 million cubic feet. Uh, that's about the same as 800 railroad carts uh, in its capacity, its volume. Uh, so it, it's a big boat, all right? We're not talking about building this in the backyard of your home and planner's walk, all right? We, we need some acreage here uh, to be able to build this. And that's exactly what's going on at this time. Uh, and so we see the provision. You see in the animals that they're, they're coming, two of every kind, the kind referring to a groups of species, uh, and some of them say, well, are the dinosaurs on that boat? Well, if the dinosaurs were animals back then, they were on that boat. Well, how do you get a brontosaurus on that boat? Well, you know, 
Who says you have to have a full-grown brontosaurus? Why can't you just have a baby brontosaurus or even better, an egg? Uh, you know, there are ways and methods you can do these things. Uh, so if it is an animal, if it was breathing, yes, the Bible says they were on the boat uh, at that time uh, in, in species and in, in, in general categories. Uh, and then he says, take some extra for food that is eaten and, and make the provision for the food. Uh, now, verse 22, God, or Noah did it. Everything God commanded, he did. Now, in this provision, you'll find that he has the rains, the windows open up, and you find the springs open up from below. It's like the water from below the, the ground and above the ground all converge together to flood the earth. But all the while, you've got the ark that's still there. The animals are there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 says this, Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water, this is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the flesh, filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In this passage, it tells us that what we have here in this deliverance from judgment is something that foreshadows and points to what Jesus Christ did for us and then our resulting obedience in him through baptism and answer of a, a good conscience toward God. Baptism doesn't save us, but it's what people do because they follow Jesus Christ according to that passage of 1 Peter 3, 21. And so it, it says all this points to what Jesus Christ is about to do for us. So, get all these animals. I don't know why there's mosquitoes on there, but for some reason, in God's providence, he decided to save mosquitoes. Don't know why. But they're on there a long time. In fact, if you were to add up all the years together, you'd find that there would be, well, 371 total days with all these animals. You've got the uh, seven days of waiting. The water's come. 40 days of water's rising. 150 days of water's prevailing. 40 days of water receding. Seven days of waiting for the waters to recede. And seven more days of waiting for the waters to recede completely. 371 days. We're not talking about a leisure cruise here, all right? You're with animals. Uh, and so, as we keep on going, we read something that, that all has happened is according to what God has said. In chapter 8, verse 1. Then God remembered Noah. I, I want you to understand what's being said. It's not that God's forgotten, okay? It's not like, oh, I had some humans around here somewhere. Oh, you know, it's what he's saying is that he remembered his covenant that he made toward Noah, and now he's going to act on his covenant. Uh, and so, God gives words of instruction. And basically, after a process, they go out. They go out, and the first thing they do is they have a sacrifice. They have a sacrifice. So, we've seen the provision for judgment, the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of God in the midst of this. You know, the one thing of interest here is that when we read about the ark, God says, build some windows up above and build one door. One door. And then the Bible says, God shut the door. Let me tell you a couple important parts here. There's no record of any more than one boat. For all of humanity, one ark with one door. Now, put that in today's time. That's very similar to what we're saying is in Jesus Christ. One way of salvation. And you know the arguments that we hear today. 
Let me just share with you, thousands of years have passed from the creation to this point of Noah. Do you not think that there were false religions back then? Do you not think there were multiple theories of how you can have a relationship with God back then? That is the nature of mankind to do such things as that. That's why it's prevalent in every society that we have some method, some way of having afterlife and some way of getting in contact with God. It is reflective of mankind for us to do that. Do you not think they had that back then in Noah's day when Noah is coming up to him and say, look, there's going to be a judgment upon this earth and there is going to be a provision. There's, I'm going to be building a, a, an ark and, and there's someone saying, Noah, you're just such narrow-minded. You're such an idiot about such things. How can you believe that these things are true? After all, there are many people in this world and there are many philosophies and plans about these things. Surely God's not going to do such a thing as this. Yeah, I was, uh, someone sent me an email this past week and referring uh, to Oprah, and, and she's doing a big study. Uh, uh, number one podcast right now is her study on the new earth, uh, this book, The New Earth. Uh, but, you know, someone was challenging her, how do you believe these things, knowing that you grew up in a Christian worldview, and how do you reconcile these things? And basically, she said, well, you know, my mind is more open to these things, uh, and that was her way of saying, I don't believe that Christ is the only way uh, for salvation anymore. And her main argument is, there are so many people, there are so many ways. How can you believe that there is just one way? I would just say that in this story of Noah, there's nothing that's very different about this. It's a one solution for the world. You know, we do this biologically. There's one way that we have children. You don't have any arguments about that. Biologically, it's the same way. We, we have children the same. No matter who you are, where you are, where you live, these we understand these things. How can it not be spiritually the same as well? Where God makes a plan and he puts out his plan. Remember, a hundred years have passed and proclaiming these things. It's not that God is not merciful. He is merciful, but there is a point where the mercy ends. And that is what you have when the door shuts. Who shuts the door? Read the text. It wasn't Noah. God shut the door. In other words, God says there is an end to mercy. Listen, this is one of the thoughts I had growing up. I grew up in church. I knew what it was like. I knew all the, the, the things about the gospel. And this was my plan. I said, okay, I will live what's right now as long as I'm with mom and dad. But when I go to college and I go off on my own, I'm going to forget that and live how I want to live because, you know, I don't like this. There are a lot of things I'd much rather do and experience and try out in my life. And maybe when I'm too old to care about it anymore, sometimes when I have kids, some of my age now, uh, I'll turn back to God and try to get my life right then. That was my plan. But here's the problem with that plan. I don't call the shots as to when I can repent and turn to God. It is God who decides when there is mercy extended to me. And there is a point where I can presume upon the mercy of God and say, God, I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. And then I can think that I can turn to God when I want to. It doesn't work that way. Let me share with you a passage I read this past week that, that really just put the fear in my heart again about this. In Hebrews chapter 12, referring to Esau, it says, uh, Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this become defiled. Verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. 
For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You know what that tells me? There's a moment in time when God can shut the door. Though my heart still beats, the, God, the mercy door has been shut in my life. I don't call the shots. When God extends mercy and there's conviction in my heart, that is the moment in time when I proclaim and make Jesus my Lord. Now, we look at the provision for judgment. Let's look at the purpose for judgment. As we get to chapter 8, we, we kind of have some interesting things going on here. And this passage, uh, we have the end. And we have uh, Noah coming out and the, the sacrifice. But God says something pretty interesting. In this passage, he says, you know, man's heart is still on evil continually. <laughs> I read that and I thought, well, wait a second, Lord. Isn't that what the flood was about? Wasn't the flood supposed to wipe the earth clean and we're going to start anew? What's the deal? What's the purpose? If, if the result is still the same, that man's heart is still on evil continually. Then what was the point of all these people dying? Well, listen. God is just. He is sovereign. And he can execute judgment whenever he wants. And so he called it. These folks rejected God after hundreds of years of God preaching to them. And he was just and right in doing so because he is holy and he is in control of judgment. The point of it wasn't to wipe the earth clean in man's heart. He was going to start anew, but the point was to point to something else. See, when it was all said and done, Noah came out of the boat and sin was still in his heart. And Shem, Ham, and Japheth, which comes clear in the next chapter. What do you do? He was pointing to something else. That would take care of the sin. First thing they do. Let's kill some animals. Let's have a sacrifice. And the Bible says that when God smelt that. It was as a sweet aroma. In other words God was pleased with the actions. Because these actions were speaking to something else. That would take care of the problem. Why didn't God just wipe out Noah? Or you know, bring him up like he did with Enoch. And, and he was not. He didn't die. And just, you know what, I'm going to start over again. Let's do a whole new garden. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, tree of life. And we'll just start again. Why didn't God do that? Well, because Genesis 3.15, God gave a promise. That it would be of the seed of Eve that would come and destroy the works of Satan and be wounded in the process. And so being true to his word, he preserved Noah and his wife and the, and the children so that he would be true to his word. So that... All that he was doing would be pointing to something else. You see, yes, there was judgment. But it was pointing to another judgment that was to come. Yes, the ark delivered him. But the ark was to point to another, another deliverer. You see, let me share with you some passages that speak to this. If you were to turn into the New Testament, to 2 Peter, it says this. Chapter 3, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. 
For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the waters, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening in the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In other words, this foreshadows another judgment. God said, I will never, never again judge this world with water. But as the earth remains, as long as it remains, there will always be seasons. But he does not say that it, the world will not be judged again. It's not by water. But friends, let me tell you, there will be no wooden ark. But there is a living Savior that is coming to bring us through this judgment. You see, Noah, he died. Looking for something more. Noah died knowing that sin was still in his heart and the ark could not change his heart. But he died looking for someone who did. And what he died longing for, we were born in looking back at the history of Jesus Christ. Knowing that he was not just to to eliminate sin or to narrow down sin. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, if we would bow down and make Jesus Christ our God and Lord and say, God... Forgive me of my sins. God will cleanse the sin from our heart and then give us the Spirit of God by which He begins a process of changing my heart. You see, the Bible says that if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so the remedy was not found in the ark. The remedy is found in Jesus Christ that as He comes in, removing the penalty of my, of my sin by the Spirit of God indwelling those who acknowledge Him as Lord, begins a new work of changing our heart around. So that when it's all said and done, we dwell in a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And there is no hint of sin. That is the deliverance. Let me ask you, do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? It's not, it wasn't enough to profess in the ark. It wasn't enough to say, well, I believe in the ark. I believe it's there. Friends, the, the real sign was not someone professing, but whether or not they got in the boat. It's not enough for us to profess that Jesus Christ is God. It's not enough to say that we joined the church. It's whether or not you're in Christ. Do you follow Jesus Christ? I don't want to know if you're a Christian. I want to know, do you follow Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of His? And is your trust all in Him? I doubt there's anybody on the boat with wings, swimming wings on the boat saying, yeah, just, just in case. You know, you trust wholeheartedly in the boat. You trust wholeheartedly in Jesus Christ, not in your works, all in what Jesus Christ has done for you. And friends, the good news is, as I read the passage, no one fell off the boat. No one fell off the boat. Oh, you know, Shem was with us, but, you know, he kind of hanged off too far. No. When you are in Jesus Christ, trusting in him, 
You are secure in Him. But the question is, you know, some of us think that we're secure, but we're just professing Him. And we're not following Him. Friends, before you have security in this, I'm going to ask you, are you a disciple of His? Are you just professing? That's the question. Let's stand as we sing.